Welcome to episode 158 of Effect. Back to the workshop. My name is Matthew. And I'm Dave. And as usual, action-packed um, episode four for you all today. Um, what have we got today? So we'll start off with our usual um, heartfelt thank you to uh, new new patrons. And or then with a bit of World of Gaming, there's... Not so much to talk about, but there's definitely something that's just cropped up that I've seen for the first time today that we might have a little conversation yeah, it's about. It's quite big news, I think, but, yeah, uh, but yeah. not much of it. <laughs> no, exactly. If that makes sense. No. Um, and then, for the majority of the rest of the show, we are going back to the the well that is the Free League Workshop um, well of creativity. And we have bought a few items, and we've had a look at them, and we want to just have a little chat about some of the um, wonderful work that uh, you um, and other creators are out there putting together and putting out onto the Free League Workshop. That's brilliant. Um, so let's crack on, shall we, with uh, thanking our new patrons. Um, every two weeks, we I expect that um, in the next episode, we won't be thanking any new patrons, <laughs> but we no. still get them. They keep coming aboard. And uh, we, we've got two new names here. One of them I've only got the first name of, um, and that's Nicholas. So uh, welcome, Nicholas. Welcome and thank you. And the other one is somebody who I've been communicating quite a bit with on Twitter. He's getting very into Alien and Coriolis at the moment. Good man. And uh, that is Jim McCarthy. So welcome, Jim McCarthy. Welcome, Jim. Great to have you on board. And thanks very much for all your support. And Jim, of course, has been very active. Or it's, uh, he's only just started, but he's he's been on the on the Discord as well. So that's really good to see. Brilliant. And we're carrying on a great conversation on Twitter that I ought to tell you about actually, because it's all about campaigns and and stuff like that. Um, cool. Go on then. But, well, right now. Oh, why not? <laughs> well. Because we've got a program that, and we didn't say we're going to be talking about campaigns. So anyway, he he, he was he was thinking. Uh, basically asking the question, well, it seems very much one shot. And uh, I was saying, well, yes, it is quite. Um, and I was saying, I think that the um, Colonial Marines Operations Manual campaign isn't necessarily really a campaign. It's more a series of cinematics um, where, you know, you, if you're lucky, one or two of your characters might survive to see them all. Um and I don't know if that's fair. You you know that more than I do. So what do you think, Dave? Uh, I think uh, I think it's really hard for a colonial marine campaign to avoid a lot of hostile situations. So mm. the the threat of of uh, a kind of instant or quick death for the PCs is is always going to be there. I guess I've, I've talked about this before. I think with a campaign, you don't want half of your group to be being killed in every single episode or every single part of your campaign. So what the GM really has to do is 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 make the situation really feel like their lives are on the line and they could all die at any moment. But actually, the reality behind it is perhaps not quite that dangerous, um, and that's quite a trick for a GM to pull off, I think. But it's it's by no means impossible. Um, I certainly had one case in the Alien the Colony campaign, which. Um, uh, apologies for people who are hoping to see that this last week. Um, we had to take a break 
Um, but we'll be, we'll be back in two weeks. Yes, everybody was on holiday. We um, didn't run Coriolis either this week. No. We're allowed to break once in a while, Dave. We've yes. been very busy. We, have we talked about busy. how busy we were in the last episode. I know. Now, <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry uh, yeah. on. Yeah, so, so there was one occasion where Paul's character had a, uh, a a little creature that managed to burrow through his outfit, his um his compression suit, and was busy trying to burrow into him. And Paul afterwards said, I was pretty sure I was dead meat. Or actually... The, the the creature could kill you eventually, but it's not going to kill you quickly. So I think there's things like that about ramping up the tension. Um, the actual uh, the the missions in the in the campaign in the Colonial Marine Operations Manual they can be very dangerous. It it does depend entirely upon how the GM plays it, and I think you know GMs should feel totally comfortable in downscaling some of the threat. Now we did mm. downscale some of the threat in the production of it and the in the reviewing of it because Drew, in his usual inimitable fashion, um, set it up so dangerously that that no one was going to survive the first twenty minutes. So we had to back that down a bit. Um, but still, there are occasions where uh, in the playtests there was one where the entire group was well, the entire group wasn't killed, but you were defeated and had to had to retreat, leaving a couple of you dead behind. Um, I think there's also another another good point there about a, a marine campaign is retreating is fine. You know, I think there was mm. a really interesting idea that came out of that mission, which was you went in. I think I'm not sure if you were in that one. I think you might not have been. Um, you managed to break into the compound. You had a big fight. The odds were too bad. One of you was killed. The NPC with them was killed and they decided to get the hell out, which is absolutely fine. Because then that sets up either a future session or um, you know, later on in the same session about, okay, going back in, but going back in in a much more ordered and tactical way. So I think that's quite a nice way of doing it. But how many players would choose in a, in a mission like that, which I guess feels very much like a one shot, um, how many would choose to withdraw rather than fight to the death? And that might be the mm. educating players not to fight to the death might be um, might be a wise thing. But then I think that that's another key element of campaign play is where you get more and more attached to your character. And so the way you play your character, the way your character behaves, is more focused on self-preservation because you know you're not going to go into those situations every time, even a soldier, and run into a situation that you are certain is going to see you die. That's just not what you do in real life. If you're, in, you know, if you're really role playing that character, they're unlikely to do that. And I think that's a nice element of role playing, which should really come to the fore in a alien campaign game. Yeah. Now, of course, I did only um, play a couple of adventures in your playtest, mm. and you know, due to the constraints of time, we didn't necessarily even even the peeps that were with you the whole time didn't necessarily do all of each adventure. No. But one of the things I thought of recently is I suddenly dawned on me in this conversation I was having with Jim. Thanks, Jim, for starting this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a great thing to talk Actually, about. Actually, alien uh, PCs compared to PCs in pretty much all the other games, except maybe Tales of the Loop, are relatively underpowered in that you start off alien with one uh, talent and i know uh, you can get a couple when you're starting in um 
in that in the colonial marines campaign yeah. but generally you start with one whereas in coriolis you start with three i mean you know maybe less useful again you start with three in forbidden lands and i just wondered whether um actually there's a moment in a campaign if you've survived all the way through and got your experience and built up now a number of maybe better skills and talents whether there's any time that you saw pe- uh, player pcs getting overpowered mm. so i think there's definitely um a risk there and i think some of that comes down to also um how many how many xp you as a gm actually allow your players to have so i think if, <laughs> if you're playing well so if for example um you know we run alien the colony each game is about two and a half hours long and then we run through the list so in a session that's two and a half hours we run through the list of experience questions. If we were kind of religious about sticking to them, you might end up with five or six seven or seven XP from a two and a half hour session, which isn't really, is, is, mm. is too generous, I think. So there's definitely something about, again, we, we've spoken many times about the, the, the free league approach to um, experience, you know, awarding experience. And yeah, I certainly started out by not liking it. And I remember having a conversation with you probably three years mm. ago where I was basically... Mm. Dis- Quite early dis- on in the podcast history. So nearer four years ago, I think. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've learned to live with it a bit better and I think it can work quite well in some cases. Um, but I think you have to be quite... I don't know. The, maybe the questions should be fewer of them and more general in nature to, to reflect yeah. a, wider, yeah. a wider range of activity that could award an XP. Um, without giving you eight or ten for a two-hour two hour session. Because I think, yes, you, you could quite quickly become very overpowered as a, as a character, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I said this before. I'm, I'm going to say it again because I think it might make some interesting content. Whether we should, uh, in a future episode, spitball what the questions might be for a revised set of XP questions in the Alien Colony campaign. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a really good idea. Right, um, yeah. in which I think obviously one of the key questions should be, did Inspector Shu solve the mystery again? But uh, <laughs> exactly oh, that wording. <laughs> and, then, and then the next question would be, did Inspector Shu claim to have solved the <laughs> the mystery? Anyway, uh, let's move on. The next one from the Inspector Shu. Sorry, from Alien did, Colony. Did um, anybody else punch Inspector Shu in the head for being a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a mouthy twat? <laughs> Anyway, uh, moving on. Yes. Um, I did. I did wonder with, with with us not having an episode of Alien um, yesterday, Thursday, uh, at the time of recording, uh, whether I could quickly just download all the Inspector Shoe bits and do an episode of the Inspector Shoe Mysteries <laughs> with with the credit sequence that um, that our patron uh, Andy Bader did for us. Uh, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen. No. And it's probably a good thing. <laughs> yes, almost certainly. Now, this has been an incredibly long time before we've hit World of Gaming. This yeah. has all been by way of thanks to our two new patrons. And I'm sorry if you feel a bit left out, Nicholas, because um, we've, been, we've been addressing uh, Jim's question. But, um, but, uh, but thank you to both. We value yeah. you both equally. We do. Shall we move on to the World of Gaming? Yes. So the World of Gaming... Um... I think we've only really got one thing on our list today, and that was something that I saw uh, pop up on the socials literally an hour ago, and that was the news. I'm going to look for it now because I haven't even seen it. And that's the news that Marvel 
are going to release or have announced um, a tabletop role-playing game called the Marvel Multiverse. And that's been announced, well, I saw it an hour ago. So mm. that is hot off I the press. Had... Um, yeah, this, this... I hadn't heard anything beforehand. So no, no. I think you've beaten me to it. So this looks like they are not going to go with... Um, Two any, hours ago now. Any, any of the existing... Okay. Uh, any of the existing um, systems that are out there, they're not going to lean on any of those. They're going to go for a system which they are calling the D616 system. No further details. Which is great. <laughs> and can can I bore you again with the origin of what 616 means? Please, you, you bore me anyway, so feel free to bore me with this thing. As everybody knows, I am sure... Uh, <laughs> Not me. Earth 616 is the core Earth of the Marvel comics. But it wasn't always called Earth 616. It was christened Earth 616 by, I believe, the Imperator Saturnine, or whatever it was, um, in the Captain Britain comic, written by Alan Davis, uh, or sorry, drawn by Alan Davis and written by Alan Moore. So this is Alan Moore's longest lasting impact on the marvel universe is earth 616 but it also has i'm sorry if i'm boring you i can hear you storing in the background there <laughs> it, it has ripples elsewhere so the um the call sign of the agents of shields plane in their television series happened to be 616 uh, as well so um so yeah, uh, I'm very pleased to see i don't know what the system is like it might be crap but uh, i'll well, definitely play it if it's Using the 616 system. We've got no idea what the 616 system is. Um, I tell you, the only reason I'm snoring is I'm not a big fan of Marvel. No, I'm, I know you I'm not a big fan of it. it just, there's just so much of it. I'm just, I'm just relentlessly flooded by shit superhero movies with just, you know, oh, it's just, mm, I'm just fed up with it. I'm bored to tears with it. I'll be interested to see what this system is, what the mechanics of the system is. I do have a lot of very, very fond memories of golden heroes and villains, <laughs> villains and vigilantes. Um, I think those are the two we, we mostly played back in the day. And I, I, I do love a really good superhero game and I'd quite, I haven't played one for decades. So I'd be quite interested to play one, but I don't want to play, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're coming out with what the, what this says is they're coming out with a play test rule book, which would be a quick start in mm -hmm. 22 next year and yeah. in in that you will be able to play you won't be able to create your own characters you'll be able to play a bunch of the standard ones i can't even remember their bloody names now um spider-man black panther captain america thor yeah. captain marvel ms marvel wolverine storm and many more and for me that kind of defeats the point i don't want to play one of those characters i want to make my own i want my own superhero to go along with him. I, yes, I want Ironclad, or I want the, um, the Red Devil, or I want Agent 13, which are three of my characters from Villains of Vigilantes and Golden Heroes. Mm -hmm. you know, I want them. I don't want these boring ones that have been on the TV and on the screen for fucking ever. Um, sorry, I'm getting a bit ranty about this, aren't I? <laughs> I should yeah, calm no, down. No, no, no. I should calm no, down. It, it, it's good. It, yeah, I, so I think if you've got... Uh, uh, an intellectual property that is all around the characters. 
you do have to ask yourself, if you're making a role-playing game, does your audience want to have their own adventures in your world or do they want to play mm. your characters? And I wonder whether they're kind of getting around this with the whole multiverse, which is big in this yes. title, I can see. Yeah, yeah. So could it be that you could play alternate versions of Spider-Man or... Um, well, there's, there is that movie, um, Spider-Man, the multiverse. Is it the multiverse or the spider? Well, the, there is. So, so the multiverse uh, is which, going to be the big thing, I think, in the next phase of movies. Which I've, 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 in had a way, I've had recommended to me more than once to see it, and I saw it was actually it was on television last week or the week before, and I was going to record yeah. it, and I completely forgot to. Um, so that quite interesting. Well, I would, me, but I would recommend it. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, it's fascinating in terms of uh, the way uh, each Spider-Man. It has a different animation style. Yeah. Uh, quite apart from um, uh, the different Spider Men, as it were. Um, I, but I would, I would recommend it to you, except you hate Marvel, and I don't actually think you'll you'll get much extra out of it than um, you would out of any of the Marvel movies. No, so I haven't maybe. recommended okay. it to you. No, fair uh, so don't feel you've missed out there. But yeah, so there is that. So you could have different different versions of the multiverse characters, and that might be a way of doing it. But I'm looking at the cover art here. And it's uh, got overwhelmingly Groot, and obviously we yes. are Groot. Um, but it does have this intriguing character at the front that is that a means. black outline, and that may be a number of black outlined characters that I could reel off in the Marvel Universe, but I've probably bored you enough already. But it could potentially be you are here. You can make your own character and yeah. play with all these other people. Yeah. So um, we'll have to wait and see. I will definitely yeah. be picking it up in March of, as you say, 2022. 2022. So, yeah, just to, just to stay on the point, I, I used to play uh, an old computer game, um, an MMO uh, called City of... Ooh, City of Heroes? City of Heroes. And they had a, uh, another one called City of Villains, which was... Which yep. was um, and that was it wasn't the best MMO ever. It was quite fun. I, I did enjoy it. The thing that was great about it was the variety you could have in your character generation. You could generate mm. almost anything. Half the fun of the game was generating new characters with different skills and different everything. And it was so varied, you know, you, you never came across another character that looked like yours in the game, which was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And that's kind of what I would like in a new tabletop role-playing game that's about heroes, about superheroes. I would want that kind of in-depth character generation so you could create almost anything you wanted rather than be mm. forced to play another dimension version of Spider-Man. But will Marvel or other Disney um, l let go control of the world of the multiverse um, in well, that way? We shall I, have to wait and see. I, I totally take your point. I can, I, can, I can feel that you're trying to move me on, um, but I totally take your point that with that IP and with Marvel... Those characters are such a integral, giant part of that, um, mm. you know, that franchise. That not having them in it would be a problem, and having them only as NPCs might be a problem because they are very, very superpowered, high-profile in the middle of everything NPCs. Then, and what, where, what space is then left for your players? Um, yes. I, would, I would quite like it maybe yeah, you know, like you said maybe have it you can play with those characters but then like in the multiverse those characters don't exist if you want in your game and you play your own ones 
Yeah, I do remember just, uh, I, yes, we want we need to move on, but I'm just thinking about some of the issues. So the last Marvel game that came out was um, Marvel Heroic Role-Playing, which was yes, 10 years essentially ago, the Cortex system that um, eventually became um, Cortex Plus and is now Cortex Prime that powered the Firefly game that you and I played. Um, and that, you know, had an interesting dice mechanic to, to be able to deal with massive strength differences between superheroes yeah but there or the biggest i i wasn't um a player of that game at all but the biggest complaint i heard is you were simply not allowed to make your own character there were no rules for it so we'll wait and see we'll wait and see anyway shall we move on yeah okay let's move on right um we're we're coming back to the to the well of creativity that is the free league workshop and you've been we buying, are. and you've been buying some stuff. Yes, so um, some of our money. Uh, well, I so uh, you said earlier on, and I tried to interrupt you, and you just spoke over me, and I had to <laughs> back down. Um, so for that, uh, I, I never, listeners, I never I'm speak sorry. Over you, Matt. It's he okay. has simply no sense of professionalism. Uh, but I, what I, I was about to say then is, we, I never. It's a terrible lie. <laughs> we we have I bought. I just don't. It just doesn't happen. Sorry, mate. <laughs> I'll shut up now. Huh. 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 <laughs> anyway, carry uh, on. Very funny. So we 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 bought. So we're going to talk about um, basically four things here. We've bought a lot more than that, uh, but we've only got so long to talk about them. So um, and we buy this uh, throughout. So the money we earn when we put links on the show notes to drive through, they come with an affiliate link. So that brings in basically 5% of what you spend. It's not You don't spend 5% extra, but when you click on one of our links, what you then spend, we get roughly 5% of in credit. And we use that to buy um, publications like this and look at them all. And as I say, we've got a lot more than we're talking about this time. I'm feeling very sorry for Frank that we haven't chosen any of the work that Frank's done in uh, translating some of the old uh, scenarios. And we haven't, and we're not looking at, and maybe we sh- we did talk about it a bit before, but we're not looking at the Community Atlas that came out recently. So these are all mm. uh, original bits of work. And I've got to say as well, they're not reviews as such, except for one thing. Because we say we can't do reviews unless we've actually played the game. Mm-hmm. Now, we have played one of these items and we will talk about that in a while but first of all i want to talk about wolf and raven go for it and wolf and raven is uh, a supplement for um forbidden lands and i was particularly interested in it because it's something that i feel is missing from the core forbidden lands rules you've got all this coastland you've got some waterborne adventures that include sea serpents but you've got no sailing rules. Mm-hmm. And mm. so I thought, well, here's, a, here's somebody that's done actually running a ship rather than a boat. And um, and I imagine, I can't remember who the author is, and it's not up. Can I grab it quickly? Uh, but I imagine he's Swedish because um, this feels very Nordic. Uh, the ships are long ships. Uh, the crew are Vikings for the most part. Um, and... Uh, I'm desperately trying to pick it up and pressing the wrong button. I think you should find the uh, author's name. I think it's only fair to... Yes. Uh, so to name-check the author uh, of the work we're oh, looking at. Oh, he may not be Swedish. He's Kenny Stewart. 
Um, so, Kenny, uh, hi. Um, I don't know where you're from. Um, <laughs> but, yes, he's definitely not Swedish because he's got a, uh, a wife called Caitlin and friends called Chris and David and uh, John, who've all helped him with, um, I'm sure, proofreading and things like that. So it's a set of rules. And basically what he's done is he's turned the concept of a ship into a stronghold. So basically it's, if you like, new stronghold rules for running your ship, which is not a way I'd thought about doing it. And actually, I quite like that idea. Um, so just going through it, uh, you know, it talks about if you find a long, you know, you can build your own long ship, obviously. Uh, and he's got some rules for how long it takes to do that. It would take you bloody ages, Dave. Don't even think about it. Um, or you... <laughs> hey, we can't even get enough money to pay for one shit guard for one day, for God's sake. So let alone do anything else. Well, we will talk about money later on. I wanted to mention money specifically. You are, you are making us murder hobos, Matt, by the way you're jamming that. We've got no option. Uh, well, I think that's... Uh, it's rules as written, mate. I can't do anything about the lack of money. Um, yes, you can. You're the GM. You just put more in. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, they, they, you could you could potentially find a ship which may have a problem, a monster's taking it. So, just like you might find, uh, you know, uh, uh, a stronghold that has got a problem with it. So, your floor, as they call it, so you can roll a d6 and find your ship hasn't got a sail or the ghost of a Viking haunts it or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and then there's uh, upkeep, of course, just like the stronghold, you need to have a handyman or in this particular case, a master boat builder um, who uh, costs, I'll tell you what they cost in a moment, but it's probably too much for you to afford. <laughs> uh, and and if you don't have that upkeep, then you know, there's a table of things that could go wrong with the ship. There are some hirelings as well, like the master boat builder. He costs two silver. A week. Uh, whatever the... Well, I can't remember. Is it a week or a month? Is it a week? I'm not Damn sure. Damn it, I can't remember. Anyway, um, this is all yeah, fitting in with the stronghold rules. So whatever it is in the stronghold, that's what it is here. Um, I think it's weekly, and yeah. And there's lookouts and there's journeyman cooks and there's a barber surgeon and uh, there's a nice interesting idea of a bard who I think is not so much a bard as the bloke that bangs the drum to keep the slaves in order. Hmm. Um Actually, what I didn't notice here were any rules on could you have slaves as you're in your galley rowing along. It doesn't mention that. Um, maybe that's the thing you wanted to avoid. And then there's uh, battles which work like stronghold battles rather than, um, rather than, if you like, tactical battles. So, you know, you get an extra point if a PC is taking part in the attack or right. in the defence. And so that might be a very efficient way of doing... Um, doing sea battles actually mm. i was getting very bogged down as i was thinking it through into you know how do you do the wind direction and stuff like that um so yeah um uh, there's some uh, talents the path of the uh, drenger who's a kind of uh, fighting viking the path of the drunkard <laughs> the path of the shield wall the path of the viking so i don't know the difference between a drenger and the, and the viking off the top of my head um there's alcohol use uh it's it's a great little set of rules now i have just one problem with it <laughs> what's that can you predict what my problem well no sorry I, I did promise to talk to you about money and about treasure um so there's a there is a you can do raids and it has a table for how much you earn out of raids 
And um, broadly speaking, it's a D66 table. If you get a 66, you get an artifact out of the uh, book. Mm. 65 is a golden statue, which is 76 plus four gold. It's not that much, is it, really? So No, no. I was just wanted to really point that out. That that, and that's probably the biggest amount of gold I've seen in any of the rules. And it's still only seventy six plus four. It's not like you're going to need a cart to take it away. Um, <laughs> no, exactly. Maybe, so, maybe, uh, maybe the maybe the the the, the free league and um, and Kenny here are trying to discourage raiding and stealing as a means of. <laughs> Uh, making your money in, in the Forbidden Lands. Although I thought that was kind of the point. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I wondered whether... It did look to me that this was possibly a more rewarding table than any of the tables in the core rules overall. So there's lots of stuff that gets, you know, multiple coins of silver, 5d6 plus 1 silver, uh, 4d6 silver. But that could just be as little as 4 silver, yeah. which isn't very much when you've rolled 59. Um, so, yeah. But it, it, I feel it's in, you know, it's not um, over generous. It has the same level of generosity as the main rule books. Mm. But money is the other thing I wanted to talk about. Now, this is, uh, I have to say, Kenny, the least um, value of all the things we're looking at. Based on and, the uh, judgment of. Cost based on page. my judgment, no. Based on the basic, how many pages do you get for how much do you pay for? Yeah. So this is seven ninety nine in dollars. We'll do all this in dollars, and it's uh, about fourteen pages, I think. Anyway, I worked it out earlier on, and you are paying fifty seven US cents per page, which is quite quite some extraordinary price compared to. Um, so I've got a friend who kind of looks after the um, the RuneQuest version of the Free League Workshop, which is called the mm. Johnstown Companion. And he's listed absolutely everything that's done. And he does a kind of very, this per page value adjustment. And he says, you know, what's good value is about 10, 11, 12 cents a page. Um, 20 cents a page is, uh, um, in, you know, sort of the upper end. And you can, you know, there are things that go over that, but uh, but then you're you're really looking for really good quality work. And as I say, I'm not reviewing this. We haven't played with it. I'm not going to argue with the quality of this, but I'm just saying that this is right up, and if not up at, almost beyond the upper range of uh, most of the work in the Johnstown Compendium for mm. value. Well, I page. guess again, you know, it does come down to uh, you know, it's worth what someone's going to pay for it. Um, yeah. But I guess this is just we a, pay a, for this is just a comparison against you know, the the kind of I guess the the pricing policies of most people. Yeah, maybe. But so, um, is it something that we would want to use? So my my character well, in your campaign is is a, is is a sailor, or has taken sailing to make life easier going down the rivers. Um, well, I did wonder whether I might actually. Um, try this in a forthcoming adventure just mm. as because i do think although it doesn't it seems to be broadly in line with the generosity in terms of gifting it it might be a way of getting rich quick 
So um, <laughs> I thought I might uh, make an offer of some sort to you to uh, find yourself sailing down the river in a boat out to sea or something. But we'll um, we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. Let's we'll have a, see, we'll yeah. have another chat about it. But yeah, I I think I would use these. I'd like to give these rules a try. Mm. I think it's um, a good idea. We, I like I like the idea um, of having a, a mobile uh, a mobile stronghold. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. In- interesting take on that. I think it's a bit like um, going 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 back a few years to when Coriolis first came out. Um, one of the things that I was really quite excited about was the idea of the Ark in Mutant Year Zero being somehow translated into the ship in yeah. Coriolis, and they didn't really do that. Doesn't quite work out that. Same, no, does it? they no. didn't really do that. Now we we've talked about oases or havens or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them. Um, but it's not quite the same, so I think that's that's something that is is possibly um, um, sort of missing out there. But but seeing this idea of a mobile a mobile stronghold, stronghold sort of being done to work seamlessly with the Forbidden Lands rules, yeah, it's a good idea. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, what have what have you brought to the table, Dave? Well, or rather, I... what did I tell you to bring to the table, Dave? <laughs> you very kindly um, left me with the, a Simbroom. Um, product called uh, Playing with Goblins by Jericho Judy. And this is a, uh, a scenario in three parts. And um, yeah, it's it's really good. <laughs> I know it's, it's really hard to do this thing without feeling like you're reviewing it. Yeah. You know? well, um, I'm not quite sure what the trick is for us to do this without just being Barry Norman doing... Film <laughs> well, I think I think in a way, uh, okay, you can argue it's review, but it's got to be understood by our audience as a review without actually doing what's intended with the game, which is playing it, which yeah. is actually playing it. Yeah, except absolutely. as I say, for a later stage, uh, yeah. we do have one product that we have properly reviewed. So it's a bit like reading the script of a film if you're Barry Norman, and then going, well. Yeah. Judging by the script, um, this is good or bad. So, yeah, we avoid value judgments generally, don't we, in these reviews? We try to. Because yeah. we, haven't, we haven't played it. But, no, but exactly. Um, if you but, put yourself in the position of a GM reading this, uh, what does it, what does it, how does it inspire you as somebody reading it through? Does it, does it make you, as you say, want to play it? I, yes, I think it possibly does. Um, and it, it's, so the, the, the kind of, the, the cover blurb, basically says under the darker bows of the davakar the goblins play their wicked games against any who dare the goblins play for fun and pain for grimaces and wicked laughs but also for a more somber purpose winners will earn riches while losers will pay a bloody tribute dare you enter the games and that's a kind of interesting little thing because the games are actually a really minor part of the, the actual scenario as a whole um but it has three um three areas that it's talking about it's got a a goblin tribe in a goblin village um and then there is a there is a nearby hollow tree which has got some mysteries around it that that will come out as part of the um part of the story and then there is a there is a, a an enemy a bad guy who is out there somewhere who who you'll probably come across um in the third act um but the look and feel of this is great i just even looking at the very first page and just reading that opening blurb um yeah, it really evoked a lovely atmosphere and really encouraged me to dive into to the rest of the scenario. 
And I think that that's a bit of a compliment because there's an awful lot of stuff that I come across and I read where the first page doesn't do that at all, you know, and you, you go mm. in and actually, yeah, you, you plow through a bit before you get to the, to the interesting content. But actually it was really nicely done in, in drawing me into the rest of the scenario. Um, as I said, it contains three locations. Um, there's the village, there's the tree. Um, well, I said not locations. He calls them landscapes. And really these are um, kind of the acts of the scenario. Um, Jericho is very good, actually, in in laying this out in a way that makes it freeform and sandboxy, in that each of the three parts could be taken apart completely and dropped into a totally different scenario or campaign somewhere. So I think in that sense, it works really nicely for somebody who might be running their own Simbaroom campaign and doesn't necessarily need a whole three-act scenario, but would like to do something with maybe goblins and with some other stuff. And um, in that sense, it's uh, it, it's a really nice bit of work, actually, in, in laying it out in, in such a way. There are some really nice tips about running the, the big bad NPC. Um, there's some nice comments about the actual incentives of the goblins and what their view of life is and what their sort of lived experiences in the in the village, which I think is really nice. Um, I think there was one thing um, that I would say that, and actually, this is only this is only this only takes place in one in one particular passage, where there was one particular passage where the goblins were were kind of represented in a really what felt to be a very stereotypical gobliny way. And I, when I was reading it, I felt, oh, this is going to be. I'm a bit disappointed actually because I, I, I think that I, I felt that this is going to be offering more than that. And then actually, mm. as you get further into it, it does offer more than that. But it's just this particular thing, which is, which is all around describing the first meeting of the pieces with the goblins. It felt really kind of goblin stereotype. Mm. Was that was that cleverly intentional to to sort of bust the myth to present the goblins as a stereotype first of all, and then you find uh, that they are actually far more nuanced and less stereotypical? Um, that thought didn't cross my mind when I was reading it, but as you when you mention it, I think maybe there is something in that. Possibly, I don't know whether Jericho mm. was was deliberately aiming for that, but there is obviously more to these goblins than meets the eye. Um, the the basic story is quite straightforward, um, but that doesn't devalue its its storytelling potential, actually. It's it's a good story. Um, there's, there's a big bit where you can play these games with the goblins, and mm -hmm. there's quite intricate details, and you've got games like Hide the Boot, where you've got to steal the boots off the other competitors in a big muddy pit and um yeah some other slightly euphemistic names which i don't think we're supposed to be euphemistic like trim the thistle um <laughs> and and that's all fine and there's some quite nice uh ideas in there i guess my my only personal concern about that is in role-playing games when you have what is a sporting event or a similar thing being played out in the game, for me, 
that's often felt quite weak because it's it, it feels a bit like a filler. Yeah. Um, and you, you can get the sense of, you know, maybe some players would think, well, this is the interlude before the main game. You know, the main mm. actual storyline continues. And it could feel a bit of a a bit of a bit of a time waste. Um mm. I you know, you know Well, well it's interesting because uh I might have expected somebody to say that who didn't like sports, but you like sports. So um I do. I do. Um but I think in a role playing context it, it unless there was a really clear, obvious kind of threat behind it, then I think often it can feel a bit a bit weak. Now, these are really nicely done. They're really good ideas. And I'm, I'm, what I'm not saying is that the, the writing or the ideas in this are weak. What I am saying is, for me, having a situation in a role-playing game where your character is playing a game, in that sense, can sometimes feel a bit underwhelming in terms of drawing you into the story. Um, but there is more to it than that. So I think... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I feel like I'm being overly harsh, and I don't want it to come across. I don't that. think you've been harsh at all. Um, Listening to you, I think you've you've enjoyed it. We, you know, and as we say, we're we're taking perceptions about this. Um, if if we thought something was really shit, we wouldn't even mention it on the show. Uh, and if your thing hasn't been mentioned on the show, it doesn't mean that your thing's really <laughs> shit. You're tying us in knots, Matt. Stop it now. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, yeah, but I but, think, you know, we don't, we, we, we're we here to encourage uh, the creative community around Free League. So uh, I'd never come on here with um, uh, uh, something that we, we both of us generally thought was really crap yeah. and not be positive about it. No. We'd pull out at least the positive thing about it. Yes. The harshest so, I'm ever going to be in any of these things is saying, crikey, 57 cents a page, that's quite a lot. <laughs> no, so, that's I mean, about as harsh as it's so, going to get so there is a counterpoint to that comment though because Jericho does do as I said what he's done very well is laid out a lot of advice and guidance um, and ideas to make this um, this scenario this story potentially be much much broader than that for, for a GM who wants to, to come to it but one of the things he does do is say um, what if my players don't want to fight mm-hmm. and there's a whole nice sidebar about running the whole thing as a social conflict rather conflict than, instead rather than a, a, a physical conflict and i thought that was really nice now most players don't mind getting into a bit of a fight but some players do prefer that social element and i mean and some players would obviously you know love both and and might actually want to manage this as a social conflict rather than a physical one so i thought that yeah, was a and really some... nice, that's a really nice touch and it was a well it was a very good bit of writing he's I think he's um, he's he's in a very experienced game. He's been, I think, in his blurb, he says he's been playing for thirty odd years. This is his first time where he felt he wanted to put something out in this sense, and mm-hmm. it's it's a very good job. And you can definitely see his years of experience coming through in the way he's produced it and and the advice uh, and and ideas that he puts into it. So yeah, I mean, it's good. It's it's very nicely done. It's um, it, you know. It, it would add a lot to anyone who's running Simbroom, even if he didn't run it as a, a three-act scenario. You could easily take the bits out and run those as an act in any of your games. Somewhere Next else. time you're meeting the goblin, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, 
yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was a good, it was a good read. And in terms of the patent um, valueometer, that works out to thirteen US cents per page. It's so quite good, isn't it? That's yeah. pretty good value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, now uh, I've got another scenario, and I'm just going to check because again, I should have prepared this. Um, I mm -hmm. didn't take a note of who the author was. There we go. Uh, and I'm looking at the Hounds of Odicon. And the, the I have not the hyenas of Odicon. Sorry, the hyenas of Odicon. You're quite right. <laughs> uh, and that's by Michael Masberg, um, who's done a few um, a few games uh, and a few things for Coriolis. Uh, his brand is the Pig of Spades, and I mm -hmm. think we might have looked at something of his before last time we looked at the shop because I vaguely remember that brand. But the Pig of Spades, uh, as a company, and Michael as an author have done a really good job of um, exploring one of those parts of the uh, uh, of the horizon that hasn't had much love from official um, yes uh, you know official outlets official sources um, yeah now one I, I'm gonna be I lay my cards on the table here uh, and uh, explain why I pulled this one out. I pulled this out because in uh, on the Free League Workshop, um, the Hyenas Vodacon description says, this uh, is a short action-packed adventure of Coriolis, the Third Horizon. It takes the PCs to one of the darkest advent corners of the Third Horizon, the doomed system of Hodacon. Uh, it was written as a one-shot for a local convention and was later run again on several occasions. And it's an excellent introduction to Coriolis Third Horizon and covers many aspects of the game. Now, I saw this as I was loading up a wonderful introduction to uh, Coriolis the Third Horizon, which covers many aspects of the game. I think my version covers fewer than Michael. So I thought, oh, I'd like to look at this because it's doing the same thing that I have just done with this week's new release. Um, mm -hmm. And you see, I'm going to get a subtle plug in here. There'll be links in the show notes. You can it's be sure. It's not very subtle, is it? <laughs> There'll be links in the show notes. <laughs> uh, the Siren, uh, which we've just put out, and we'll talk about the value of that a lot later on. But um, uh, yeah, I've just put out a game that's kind of doing what Michael was trying to achieve here. And, um, you know, a, a game to run at conventions and to introduce players to the world of the Third Horizon. And um, I have to say, it's um, it's pretty good. Now, Michael is uh, German, and this is translated from um, a German adventure, which was actually uh, published properly as part of the Kickstarter for the German version of um, of Coriolis. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um so uh, well done, Michael, in, for taking the time to translate it. And I can see that it would work really well as um, a professional adventure in a professionally published book. Um, now, one of the disadvantages of this uh, is there may well have been illustrations in the German version, and there aren't any in this. It's, it's solid text, which, um, which is fine, I think. Uh, I think... Uh, when it comes to creativity, all of us who play role-playing games, we can all write to some degree. Uh, but can we draw? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not. And do we have friends uh, who can draw? Maybe not. But, um, 
Yeah, so there's, there's quite a lot of text in here and not many pictures. And uh, there were some times when I was wanting a little picture. Um, there's some very good descriptions of uh, the beast, which I I won't say, I won't spoil the adventure for you. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a pretty basic floor pan of... Uh, a spaceship as well in here but that's that's the only illustration there really is um it, anyway i've i've run through the adventure in my head of course we haven't played it so i can't properly review it um i would struggle to run this at a convention um because I, is it too because long because it... i think it's quite long i think right. there's two very distinct acts to it um and if you're thinking about a four-hour slot, I'm not sure that I could do it in that time. But you could probably one run one of these within the four hours. Mm. Um, and I don't want to say too much about the adventure except your salvages um, and your salvaging a ship, uh, I think, is what I can say. And, of course, things go wrong and there is the darkness between the stars yeah. will probably be enough information for everybody. You know, one day there'll be a scenario where your salvages and you're salving a ship somewhere distant, you know, in the deeps of space. And it's all lovely. And, and it all goes really well and you get home and have tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, actually, I'm sorry, I said there were two acts. I just noticed, um, I'm just seeing the, the third act. So yeah, there are three acts to this. I, I just say, I still think it'd be a tight squeeze to fit it into four hours. But you could probably do it. Um, yeah, this is a lovely adventure. I'd mm. like some more pictures. Uh, I mm. This is 16p, 16 cents, I should say, per page, which doesn't seem, again, a bad value no. um, for what's there. Um, I think there's a couple of good sessions, a couple of good evenings work in this, or play, I should say, yeah. in this adventure. There's some pre-generated characters uh, for conventions, there's a pre-generated ship, which is the hyena, um, which is lovely looking. Um, so, uh, well, I say lovely looking. There's no pictures, well, apart from the deck plan. But uh, <laughs> it, it reads well. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, cool. I, I think it, it's a great package. And I'm a bit jealous of it. Uh, but uh -huh. I do like mine as well. And so just another quick plug for my one. Uh, I only put it out on... Tuesday, no, Wednesday, maybe. Um, and uh, because it's been commissioned by Matthias Lilia and he's paid me for the writing, it's out on the Free League Workshop for only 50 cents or the equivalent in your local currency. Mm. Um, and we've only put a price on so that, you know, we can count it in the Copper Bestseller badges and things like that. Mm. And it appears on the charts, but that's the only reason that. Well, and also, I did lay out a little bit for art. We got um, the lovely um, uh, John Salquist uh, to do yeah. the cover, and my own uh, lovely son um, to do some interior illustrations. Yeah, um, cool. And I've I've paid everybody for that. John didn't want any money, but I said you gotta you gotta take some money for this thing. Mm -hmm. So I, know, I paid he's, him. He's too generous like that, isn't he? We should we should really take absolute advantage of his generosity and just load him with loads of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> then he might he stop is, doing lovely stuff for he us. Is so very let's good. not do so that. He also did the um the the the, the cover for uh, Alien: The Colony um, for the planet scene and all that for us too, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, but now I was getting a little bit nervous because I'm talking about this um you know price per per page, um. I quickly just had to do a calculation to see, and here is a subtle plug as well, see how my uh -huh. um, Coriolis Planetarium, the Mirren Chain, 
um, was per page. And that was uh, just under 12 cents per page, which was uh, I was quite pleased with. That um, is a pretty good rate, yes. yeah. Um, and that's still up there for, you know, th- there is some Oticon stuff on that as well. So not much, mm. mind, because I'm covering 100 systems or near, near about yes. 100 planets. But yeah, so anyway, we've plugged ourselves well enough. Let's move on to that what we've I, I, except I just want to, since we're doing 12 cents a page for the um, the Atlas... Uh, I should point out that, that my new adventure is two cents a page. Beat that uh, in terms of value. Anyway, shall we move on? And yes. I think uh, for this fourth one, um, this is going to be a proper review. Do you want to kick it off, Dave? Um, it'll have to be quite quick because we're already at 54 minutes, you know, right? Oh, we can't imagine. We can <laughs> talk a lot, can't we? We can. Um, um Yes, so Mythic Japan by um, our friend and friend of the show, Thomas Bolton, as well as um, his son, Jason, and uh, his friend, Brandon. Um, we've been lucky enough to playtest that. It came out, I'm not sure which day he got it put up on the workshop. I think he put it, well, of course, he, he's on the other side of the world, so it might have been his ago. Sunday night, our Monday, no, yeah. his Monday, our Sunday, something like that. Yeah, so this is a uh, expansion um, for Versen, and as the name suggests, it is uh, all about playing Versen in Mythic Japan, set during the late nineteenth. The Meiji century. Restoration the is Meiji the best way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The reason I was going for the dates is because I forgot that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there um, we go. That's why I thought I'd say it for you because I could recognise that you'd forgotten uh, it. And this is uh, this is beautifully researched. It's got loads of information. It's 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 not meant to be educational, I don't think. But when I was playing it, because I don't know that much about Japan and certainly not about the Meiji Restoration, uh, I learnt loads about about that, and it, it it was it was easy learning. It wasn't like a like a class or anything. It was easy learning, mm-hmm. and it was um, and a very easy way to get into a culture that I wasn't very familiar with. And that helped me get into that culture and understand the game and really, really enjoy it. I think the point I'm trying to make is that for some people who might be put off by, well, I don't know much about Japan or I don't know much about that genre or that, that, that culture, um, that shouldn't be a barrier to giving this game a go because it is, it's really nicely done and it's so well researched that um, you know it's it's a way of learning more about Japan and also having a really fabulous game uh, at the same time. Yes. Um, so I, I think I think that's key to it. Um, if you remember, a few weeks ago we had an episode where we were talking about writing historical games, and yep. we'd been playing with Thomas on this one, so we invited him to come and join us for that one, and we talked a lot about. Uh, all sorts of aspects of that. But one of the key things we worked out then, and it's proven by this game, is how useful the life path generation system is for not only introducing us as players to the alien world, uh, I, yeah. I use that advisedly, of of late 19th century Japan, um, but also take us through. So the key thing that Thomas was working at here was the Meiji Restoration was a major cataclysm for Japanese culture. 
uh, up until that point, there'd been kind of um, Tokugawa regime. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this justice because I am not an expert here. No, but, you know, there was, there was still samurai and, and shogun in charge. And the Meiji Restoration was a moment of incredibly rapid modernization. Yeah, well, and and it was all about things like you know, the, the, the caste system breaking down and kind of the end of rural society as technology was taking over. Um, yeah. Which I and guess, we all learned about this. This is the beauty yeah. of it is you, your character starts, your upbringing is before the Restoration. And, you know, you, you learn about your family and your place in life and... And then there's this kind of die roll that says, well, how did they get, you know, what happened during the restoration? Yeah. Where did you end up there? And, ah, oh, fabulous. Uh, I mean, um, both of our characters, and we, I know we hate each other, uh, Dave, um, <laughs> but in this game, our characters do too. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Uh, and yeah. Well, actually, and so, I don't, hate, I don't uh, hate you. I just pity you. I pity you because you're such a shallow person that you hate me for, for very poor reasons. Yeah. Yes, you you missed out on the last adventure. I should put that online because we. Um, I did sadly, yeah. Uh, we we missed that, but we worked out that actually you're to blame for the whole adventure. So. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's like it's like being a, being out by meeting and getting all the actions, isn't it? You know, if I'm not there, then I can't defend myself. So we weren't able to stream that because we were again trying to do this roll and uh, Discord thing, and it wasn't playing with us this time. Not Roland Discord, Roland uh, Streamyard, Stream isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, but luckily, uh, Frank OBS'd it onto his channel and I've, he's given me a link to a copy that I'll put up on our channel so people can follow the adventure through. It yes. was great. Oh. Really good fun. Um, anyway, that's, that's by the by. We, we've now, we're, we're two thirds of the way probably through the second adventure that Thomas has taken us through and it is just fabulous. And, um, he put it up on Monday. He sold 20 odd copies, mm. but. By God, I don't know why everybody who owns Vason doesn't buy this and download it because <laughs> it is such an amazing addition to the genre um, and uh, to, to the game and such amazingly good value too. Yes. Um, we, I mean, yeah, uh, Vesson, we we've said before about Vesson that it seems to make people role-play even more than they might do in Alien or Coriolis or whatever. Mm. Everybody gets into character, and, you know, our relationship is a fabulous example of that. Um, but, all, uh, all brought about by the life path generator. All brought about by which, life, yes, so you get yeah. these people in here. But we're... So we not only learn about our characters and the thing, but we learn about the world through the life path generation as well. Mm. And that's what I think is really remarkable. And yeah. I'm looking, you know, I, I look somewhat askance now at the life path we've done for uh, Tales of the Old West. I'm thinking it's not as good. Mm -hmm. It's not as good as Thomas's. Um, but there, I think we have to generalize quite a lot because we're covering the whole United States. But, um, but anyway, that's, that's a minor point. This is really focused. So unlike most of Vason, where it is the mythic 19th century, 1800s, could be 1801, could be 1899, doesn't really matter. If yeah. you need a train, there are trains there. Uh, this is really precise and, you know, focused on a few years where all this stuff is happening. Uh, it's no worse for that. It is possibly slightly less flexible, but you really get a snapshot of this fascinating period of Japanese history. Mm. I cannot recommend it. He sold 20 copies, I said earlier. Why hasn't he sold loads more? 
buy well, this. I buy guess this. Give it a There'll chance. be a link in the show notes. He hasn't had a weekend yet. So I think the other thing is, I, the, you know, Mythic Japan might not be everyone's cup of tea. Um, and there might be Bearson players who are saying, well, I'm quite happy with you know, Mythic North um, and uh, where I'm setting my game. But also, yeah. um, this it, it, there are um, lots of Bearson in there. So there are there are Yurai, Yokai, Oni, Kami, which are all different kinds of spirits. Some of them are a bit more um, malevolent than some of the other ones in Versen, specifically. Some of their jobs are specifically to punish people. Some of them are very spirit-like um, around, um, you know, the Kami being, you know, uh, sort of like uh, natural spirits of pretty much anything. So there's also a, um, uh, yeah, a little uh, sort of um, a list there of, of other Versen that you might want to use in your campaign because you could easily transfer the ideas into something uh, something somewhere else. Maybe just change the name um, so it's less Japanese. Or you could even have a Japanese person in, appearing in your in your game yes. for some reason. Um, and some of them are really good. And just one of them, the, one of them was the Rain Woman, which is just, uh, I, I won't explain it in too much detail, but it's, um, it's a spirit that obviously, as the name suggests, is found in the middle of storms. And they then come and try and steal children because mm. they are the spirits of people who have had their children stolen previously. And it's just lovely. And it's, I'm getting my, um, I'm getting all a bit goosey just talking about it, having read it, remembering some of the, some of the story ideas with it. It's, um, it's really good. So like Matthew, um, you know, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, and it okay. might be I- worth, it might be worth the punt, even if you don't want to play Versen in Japan, because there is stuff in there that you might find relevant and useful for your game wherever you're setting it. Okay, I've, I've just I've just thought of a criticism. Go on then. The cover is a bit grey, and I'm just thinking uh-huh. in terms of thumbnail on the drive-through uh, free league workshop. It doesn't leap out at you. No, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so maybe, maybe Thomas, um, and Thomas has found all sorts of lovely artwork, which is uh, publicly available from mm. uh, the Japanese National Library and stuff. Very like nice that. style that really, again, really yeah. evokes the feeling of the era. Um, really good, but maybe the cover's not doing it for me, and yeah. maybe it's not doing it for sales either. Maybe, possibly, yeah. Okay, that's my only criticism. We've run for an hour, and we did say we wanted to keep this episode to an hour, and we have got uh, the COVID Cafe, our regular weekly meeting of our patrons, starting in... Coming up in 20 minutes. Yeah. So So I think we are going to have to uh, hold over yet again that discussion of um, developing stuff. Maybe we should make that a a key element next time. Yes. And as yeah. part of that, we could... Well, it's not really part of that. It's different. I was going to say, I would quite like to have that conversation about um, experience questions for uh, for Alien. Cool. Well, there we go. Cool. We've got two items to talk about next time. Cool. Let's do that. Excellent. Let's do that. Good stuff. Brilliant. Well, um, unless you've got anything else to add, Matthew? I have not. Um, Apart I... from, it's goodbye from me. <laughs> and it's goodbye from him. See you next time, everybody. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music 
Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Oh, how seamless was that? That was really good. Anyone would have thought we planned that. We're just natural talent, aren't we? That's what it is.